Praise God. Good to see you all tonight. Everybody doing well? Amen. Staying warm? It's going to get a little chilly. I want to welcome our live streaming audience as well. I know I've gotten messages this week of people joining along with us, so glad to have you with us. May there be no separation in the realm of the Spirit here through the airways. So, Well, um, we're about ready to get into the meat and potatoes here. No more hors d'oeuvres, so uh, I hope you're ready because we're going we're gonna to pick up. This is getting really interesting uh, in the study. We have sold out all of the books called Revelation Unveiled, which has been our primary study manual. Um, you can get it online. We, you know, ones we provided were $5 they're used, but you can get it online, and it's a great study guide. So Tim LaHaye's uh, study guide on, or study book on Revelation Unveiled, I'd recommend that to you. I agree with, personally, I agree with a large portion of everything he sows. I'll try to point out where I, there may be some disagreement. I've been using... Uh, Dr. Hutton Sutton's book also, and there's several other references, um, but we're going to start out. We're going to read. Um, these are shorter chapters, even though they're power-packed with a whole lot of stuff, right? So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 6. Maybe you had a chance to read forward in that. Um, the handout covers through chapter 9, and we'll see how far we get. I've also been uh, doing the study. Sunday mornings, we'll pick up part 2 of the book of Daniel this coming Sunday, so if you missed part one of Daniel, because you'll find out when you start looking at the prophetic books how they're all tied together. So um, you might go online as well, just Global River Church, uh, and look up under our lessons. You'll find uh, Daniel's chapter one from last Sunday, and we'll pick up on part two this Sunday. All right, you ready? I'm going to read out of the New Living but Translation, which is the Thought for Thought Translation, uh, but I also have a parallel Bible here with the King James. I like that, some of the language around the word-for-word -word translation in the King James. So, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, the Lamb breaks the first of the six seals. And uh, actually, in your handout, you'll notice on page 18 of your handout, uh, the second handout there, is, deals with highlights of Revelation chapter 6, which we'll look out in a little bit here, all right? All right, let's begin in, in Revelation 6, verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first seal of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard a second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was a war, and slaughter was everywhere. When the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up, and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat, bread, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. 
King James says his name was Death and Hell followed him. These two were given authority over one-fourth of all the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the Lamb broke the fifth seals, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who have belonged to this world and avenge the blood of those and what they've done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of the brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. I watched, and as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a shaken tree by a strong wind. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and the islands were moved from their places." Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Chapter 7, verse 1, God's people will be preserved. Then I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, and they were holding back the wind so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, wait, Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many that were marked with the seal of God, 144,000 selected from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, 12,000. Praise from the great crowd. Verse 9, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, and they had a palm branch in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne on their faces to the ground and they worshiped. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. This is why they stand in front of God's throne to serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again 
be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb breaks the seventh seal. Chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix the prayer of God's people with an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and he threw it down on the earth and the thunder crashed and the lightning flashed and there was a terrible earthquake. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood was thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned and all the green grass was burned. The second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all the living things in the sea died. And one third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness, wormwood. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and they became dark. And one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air, terror, 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 woe, 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 who below belongs to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. The fifth trumpet brings the first terror. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out, like through a huge furnace, sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then the locusts came from the smoke, descended on the earth. They were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or the plants, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. 
than the locust, like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their head, and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like a woman's hair and teeth like that of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like the army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel of the bottomless pit, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and this day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on the earth. And I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. In my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor. As they were fiery red and dark blue and yellow, the horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed out of their mouths. One-third of all the people were killed by these plague, three plagues by fire and smoke and burning sulfur that comes from the mouth of these horses. Their power was in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues, still they refused to repent from their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued in the worship of demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Whew. Man, I don't want to be here. Can you imagine having children or being in a place when that is poured out? If that doesn't scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will. Lord, we ask for revelation wisdom. We also ask that you would put upon us that evangelistic spirit of revelation to speak to those who are perishing. In the book of Jude, he says, snatch them from the flames. Reach down, snatch them out of the flames of judgment that are coming. Well, I'd like to say nice, soft, listening, love music there, but remember what's taken place now. We, we believe that the church has been taken out. We knew that from Revelation 4, 1, come up hither. We know from Revelation chapter 3, it says, he will keep you. Let's turn there. He will keep you from the terror that's coming to test the whole world. So turn back a few chapters to chapter 3. Those who believe in the pre-trib rapture use this verse along with others. It says in verse 10, Revelation 3.10, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those 
who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. And so that scripture, if you can, you can imagine, sounds like great testing coming on the whole world, right? And so we, we also shared uh, out of Second Thessalonians, uh, the, the trumpet sounds, and we, we shared that in the first few weeks. What we want to do now is in chapter 6, let's unpack some of what we see. So if you'll turn in your handout to page 18, and then if you're following along in your Revelation book from Tim LaHaye, Revelation Unveiled. So we're in page 18 of your handout, but we're also on page 141 if you're following along in LaHaye's book. Some comments here. First, when you look at uh, the kind of the highlights at the top of your handout, these are the first of the six seals, and they're from the tribulation period, and we realize there's only a small percentage of tribulation saints <laughs> at this point, right? Church has been raptured, but if a whole bunch of people disappeared, and we knew that the only common denominator from every tongue, tribe, and nation was they were believers in Christ, um, there'll be a whole bunch of crazy theories going on at that point. The Antichrist may or may not have been revealed uh, at this point. We know that he's truly revealed at the three-and-a-half-year mark. Um, I want to venture to kind of set a stage here. There's some controversy about this, or at least different commentators have different opinions. If you've been with us uh, on Sunday morning, we looked a few weeks ago at the Ezekiel 38-39 war. So leave your marker in Revelation and turn back with me to the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel, I want us to see, because there was another thing that happened this week. Um, I shared it Sunday, but the escalation of this alliance and the formation of this alliance is becoming more and more secure and the war between Israel and Gog and Magog could, could happen literally tonight. And there are commentators that believe it has to happen before the start of the tribulation. In fact, it will usher in the United Nations and the formation of the leader who will bring peace. So just go with me a minute. Let's look at this chapter, and then we'll kind of pull it together. So if you're in um, Ezekiel... Remember, Ezekiel 37, this is written 2,500 years before Christ and validated in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We were in Israel. We saw the books in the museum of the book, validated from those books that this was written 2,500 years ago, and Ezekiel prophesied someday way, way, way away from when he wrote it, there's going to be a series of nations that are going to come against Israel that are now living in peacefulness in their land. They've come from all the nations gathered. And so if you look at it, let's pick up and in verse 37, first, you're probably familiar with the scripture of the Valley of the Dry Bones, where he calls, can the bones live? And the Lord calls all the nations to give up the Jews after the Holocaust. What happened? The world was shocked in the Holocaust. And in 1948, can a nation, Isaiah asked, can a nation be born in a day? It was. 
And our President Truman was the first to say, yes, we acknowledge, right? Just like our President was the first to acknowledge, yes, Jerusalem is the capital, right? I love that of our leaders. Okay. But in the shock and the horror of what came out of the Holocaust, the United Nations came together and said, we must give the Jews their land. We know that takes place, so the dry bones come alive. Look at the bottom of uh, Ezekiel 38 and beginning in verse 15. You will come from your home, uh, no, I'm sorry, along to pick up in verse, uh, let's pick up in chapter 37, reunion of, of Judah and, and, and Israel and Judah. This is another key point. Remember the separation after David and Solomon, the kingdom split. We had all the kings and chronicles and first and second kings, and Israel and Judah were two separate nations or tribes that had split apart, right? Well, in the latter days, Ezekiel prophesies they're all coming back together. You're going to be ruled by one ruler. That's in Ezekiel 37, the reunion of Israel and Judah. The message came to me, verse 15, Ezekiel 37, 15, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, take a piece of wood, carve on these the words that represents both Judah and all the tribes. Take another piece carved in the words that represent Ephraim and northern tribes and put them together in one hand. I will take them and put them together. Look at verse 20. Hold out the pieces of wood that you've been scribed. The people can see them and give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among all the nation from the nations. I will bring them home in their own land and they from places where they were scattered and I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king, two nations into two kingdoms. Uh, one two nations into two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves. Okay. Then we see the dry bones can they live? And here's the prophecy in ver- in chapter 38. He says, Gog, you are my enemy. Now we know in the north of Israel, go up north of Israel, you have Turkey and Russia. He says this, and these are the descendants of those tribes that settled in those areas. He says, I am your enemy. The Lord says, I am your enemy. In verse 4, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws, and I will lead your whole army and horsemen, charioteers full of armor and a great horde. With swords, Persia, that's Iran, changed their name in 1937 from Persia to Iran. Ethiopia, Libya, will join you two with all your weapons, Gomer and all of its armies. You will come from the distant north. Go directly from Israel, go north, and you'll find it. That's Moscow. And many others with you. We believe there'll be a conglomeration of those who hate Israel, which most of the Muslim nations, with the exception of a few. A long time from now, verse 8, you will be called into action. In the distant future, remember, 2,500 years later, you will swoop down on the land of Israel. How are they going to swoop? Man couldn't fly then, but now they do, right? You'll be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after all of its people have returned to their lands to the mountains of Israel. Israel got the Golan Heights in the 1967 war, right? They're skiing on the slopes of the Golan right now, okay? And so we've been up there, and you sit on the top of the border, and you can see Damascus off about 70 miles. So this is prophecy fulfilled about what will happen with Israel filling the place. Now, look at verse 12. I will go to these formerly desolate cities in Israel, now filled with people who have returned from their exiled in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder from the... All right. Verse 15 says, you will come from your homeland in the distant north 
and your vast cavalry and your army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. Does that sound like aircraft, paratroopers, right? Helicopters, right? In this time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. CNN, Fox News, reporters on the ground, Israel's under attack, and we're watching it sitting here in Wilmington. I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. My holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. All the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you the one taking about long, talked about long ago and announced through Israel's prophets in the future? I will bring you against my people. Verse 39 is the slaughter as he comes from the distant north. Look at verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 6. I will rain down fire on Magog and all of your allies will live sa- who live safely in the coast. They will know that I am the Lord. So now are those the Mediterranean, the Muslim nations in the Mediterranean area? We know that Israel has nuclear weapons, right? They have the Samson bombs. They don't talk about it, but I can tell you that they do. And uh, we also know that there's prophecy of the surrounding nations being burned up. Now, why is that important to the book of Revelation? Here's what LaHaye and some others believe. If you recall in... They're going to, let me give you this, this word, actually. It says they're burning the war machine for seven years in the slaughter of Gog and Magog. Um, let's see, verse, let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, verse 9 says... Um, they won't be able to, they won't need to cut the field and the wood from the forest. They will plunder those who plundered and take and the sovereign Lord. Um, and I will make a vast graveyard out of Gog and all of his travelers east of the, the Dead Sea. I will block the way of their travel. It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the dead and cleanse it. And it says, there'll be enough to last seven years in verse 9. Okay, now just go with me for a minute. If we know at the end of the tribulation the second coming of Christ comes, right? Remember that, the glorious appearing? We covered that last week. They got to have seven years to burn up the stuff so the second coming of Christ can't happen. It's got to have seven years of room, right? Just one thought. That's why many believe that this war could start right now. And I I shared with you, I, I read actually a testimony of my rabbi friend says that the Iranians launched a medium-range missile out of the uh, batteries in, outside of Damascus and tried to kill over 40,000 Israelis last week. But that medium-range missile was intercepted by the Iron Dome, missile takeout. So, and in retaliation for that, Israel struck many Iranian targets throughout Syria and put a message to the, to the Soviets, to the Syrians, and to the Iranians you better not mess with our civilians. We haven't heard much, at least we don't know what the intelligence is. But that is clearly, now put that for a moment and then go to Venezuela. What happened this week in Venezuela? You got 21 plus nations that have now recognized Guaido to be the legitimate leader of Venezuela. And you got Maduro, who's the dictator, and you got, they got Venezuela in a mess 
you can see the Russian bombers that have landed in Venezuela, and the, and the Russians have spent billions of dollars in Venezuela propping up this dictator. And they turned to us and said, you better stay out of Venezuela. And of course, John Bolton, our national security advisor, and Pompeo, our uh, secretary of state, they went down, met with him and said, we recognize the legitimate leader and the people in 21 plus nations throughout South America have joined us in that recognition. But it's tense, right? It is really tense. And so you heard Putin about a month and a half ago said he now has a supersonic missile that can now travel and it is not able to be shot down by any of our missiles. And he warned the United States, he said, I have you in the crosshairs. That's a quote. So if you don't think that this possibly can happen, I think it can, right? And at this point, at some point, God's going to put a hook in Putin's mouth and through Erdogan and Turkey, and they're going to come. And he, now whether the Israeli, you know, like they wiped out the, 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 the four nations and their air, their air in, in the 1967 war in a first strike, or God does it. But it's going to be clear. Can you imagine the day after Gog and all of them are laying there completely annihilated. It says the bridle, the horses and the blood that runs is this complete annihilation of Israel's enemies from the north. The next day, can you imagine the United Nations meeting, the Security Council of the United Nations saying, we got to stop this craziness, nuclear weapons, we got to stop this because it's likely a nuclear cloud if you've ever studied this thing. Unfortunately, I have when our nuclear submarines, you, when a nuclear cloud goes over and affects the wind currents associated and the fallout falls in places that weren't part of the strike and everyone, there's a sickness, there's a, you can have a dark cloud almost like it blocks out the wind, uh, the, the sun for oh, maybe six months depending on the weapons that's used. It is a bad season, but can you imagine the United Nations, we got to stop the craziness now. We can't have this anymore. And in the midst of that, a leader starts to emerge. He says, let's, let's, let's draw up a peace treaty. we got to stop this craziness. All the nations come together. Many would be prompted to vote for one world leadership that doesn't have all these crazy weapons and anti nation against nation. You can see it would set the stage. It's hard sometimes to imagine that now, but after an event like that, hmm, you tracking with me? So that's why they believe that this could happen very, very soon as a precursor to what will come into what we just read. All right, so let's, let's pick up now and let's go back to chapter 6 in Revelation. And we see that alignment. You know, even a few years ago, it looked kind of crazy that that could possibly happen. We know now that the Iranians have been working on their missile technology. Uh, yesterday, I don't know if you heard the, uh, the intelligence briefing that took place in the Capitol two, there's two days ago, and they said there's never been a time, one of the concerns they have where Russia and China have been working together as ever before. And they also said that the... North Koreans have not backed off on their development, and the Iranians continue to work on their missile technology. So again, the stage getting all set. And many of these things, you can try to picture Ezekiel seeing these things coming over them like a cloud. 
and all people watching the attack. That's not possible until about, when did, when did CNN and all the international ability to see things live? That's not that long ago, right? But here Ezekiel prophesies 2,500 years ago, that's what the events are going to be like. And these nations that come against them. Okay, let's, um, let's pick up in, on page 18 of your handout. And the highlights of the Revelation chapter 6, verse by verse, it says, we know, that, um, it's, we know from, from the prior chapter that Jesus is the one who opens the seven seals. This scroll and these seals are actually the deed to the earth. And no one is able to open the deed. We know he has the keys of hell and death, right? After he went into the, into the got the keys back in the, after the um, crucifixion, he went into the earth for three days. We shared that a few weeks ago. He's got the keys. He's the one who's able. He's the one who's, the, the one who's able to, so he's got the scroll. He opens the seal. Now, let's look at these, the, the four horses of the apocalypse. Who are they? What is this? Um, we notice that first there's this rider on the white horse. There's been some confusion. Well, is that, is that God? No, that is not God. Notice that he has a bow, but he has no arrows. In Luke eleven twenty, just when a stronger one, Jesus, is able to overcome Satan, takes his plunder, takes his armor. The Antichrist, like Satan, is virtually powerless against Christians unless you give him the authority, right? And that's what he did. He deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, and he got authority, right? The case here being made is he has a bow, and he has a crown, but he has to do it by deceptive means. Remember the lying signs and wonders, deception? He's always been a deceiver. From So they believe that this rider on the white horse is a antichrist, He's virtually a powerless man, but he has a source of authority and ability to manipulate. If you were to look in Daniel, we won't turn there. I'll, I'll cover this Sunday, but the ability to manipulate is found in Daniel 8, verse 24 and 25, and also in Revelation 13. It, he is a satanic rider, okay? That's why they call him the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So he comes as this deception. He's given a crown there, in the, and he, it's given to him because Jesus already wears many crowns, no one needs to give him a crown. And he went forth and he conquered and he conquering. The rider can only be the Antichrist because Christ has already overcome the world. That's why many believe at this point, remember, death and destruction uh, hasn't necessarily happened. He could be the one that's organizing the nations, and yet he's still hidden. Remember we read in Thessalonians, he who's holding back the man of perdition, he will be revealed at one point suddenly, Right? And uh, we know at three and a half years where he stands in, he turns against Israel, declares himself to be God, right? Oh, an interesting note. Um, when we were in Israel, we were trying to sort out, they're going to really build the third temple? What's all, why? Yet they have the blueprints, they have all the elements of the temple, the Sanhedrin, the 70 rabbis have been formed, they haven't selected a high priest yet, so that's there. I was told this year, uh, I was told this week, they have everything set, and because of modern technology, if they were given the go-ahead to build this next to the Temple Mount, not destroy the Temple Mount, but built next to the Temple Mount in agreement, they could build that temple in one year. So think about that in the midst of all of what's going on. And if there was a mess against Russia 
and the nations got together. We got peace, peace, peace. And the man of, quote, peace, not Jesus, the Antichrist, deceiver of peace, gets it. We need peace. Yes, let's have the Jews. They can build their temple. And the Muslims, they have their temple to mount. That's fine. Yes. And they build it. And now the temple is set so that when that man of peace who, and I'm, I'm using that in quotes, right, comes and turns against Israel in the three-and-a-half-year part of the, of the tribulation, and he stands in the temple, and he declares himself to be God. See how it all fits? Man, so it's like, whoa. The timing of this, that's why, man, we got to be ready. Okay. In the apocalypse, let's move on. Jesus then opens, back to 18, page 18, he opens the, the, the first seal shortly after his return to the Father and his saints and the church and the beginning of the tribulation. The second seal is the red horse whose rider has the power to take from the earth, and this rider is, has no idle threat, given unto him a great sword. And this could easily be nuclear warfare, the raining down of fire, the tribulation, we know that's all set. This is not the battle of Armageddon. Some have gotten that confused. This is, not, this is not the final war where Satan's thrown in the pit, right, and killed. In Revelation 19, it's the shortest war in history, and yet that's not this one. It's ugly, but it's not this one. The third seal produces the black horse, who's the rider of famine. This rider has a pair of balances in his hand, horrible famine, and yet it's restricted. It's a balanced famine. And it, you can't hurt the oil and the wine. Some of the argument is that the wealthy and those who have made preparation will be able to stand under this famine. But there is an absence of food and there is a shortage. Turn over to page 19. The fourth seal introduces the pale horse whose rider is death. His evil companion is hell. Many hundreds of millions are slain during this seven-year time frame. Hell reaps part of the harvest of the unredeemed souls. Right? This is... the they're going to they're gonna go into that place of torment. Power is given to the horse, the four riders, to kill a fourth of the earth's population through war, famine, death, and the earth's beasts. Many of those killed are unrighteous. This is indicated in hell accompanying death. The, horse, the four horsemen continue their ride throughout the seven-year tribulation. Their activities increase as they go along. The opening of the first four seals does not immediately signal the Battle of Armageddon. The second seal, he believes, releases World War III, which occurs almost immediately after the rapture. So here's the debate. Does it start before the rapture, after the rapture? We, I, we can't, from what I've searched, you can't be dogmatic about it. But let's, if you're a pre-tribber, it's soon. <laughs> okay. And we all vote for yes, right? We want to be on the first... Angel bus out of here. Okay. Russia desires the Middle Eastern riches, wealth, and especially Israeli food. Misjudging Israel to be easy prey, Russia attacks her. The battle, quick and decisive, lasts one day because of divine intervention, and Israel is the victor. Which, by the way, we read the 144,000 Jews. Right now, we know from Romans 11, it says, when the exact number of Gentiles have come in... All of Israel will be saved. What would our, now we know based on our, our in, interface with Israel and going there over the years, there are more and more Christian Jews. They may be undercover, but they're there, right? And I, I recently read an article about some of the many of the millennials in Israel 
are open to the messianic revisions of what's been coming. We support an organization called Mayos. They're, they're a messianic organization. We've been presenting, uh, protecting, you know, giving them support over the years. They've now grown, and they're actually exporting evangelism now to Brazil, which is interesting. If you heard the send about the advertisement on Sunday, we're sending a whole group of our teens. How many now, Mike, go into the send in Florida? 34. Um, that'll be in February. But Brazil is one of the key nations for this evangelist. And now Israel is sending evangelists to Brazil, which is kind of interesting. Messianic Jews going there. And so, okay, that's a little side note. So the, at this point, um, back to your handout, the Antichrist now steps forward and makes his move to become the world leader. However, the zenith of his rule does not occur until the middle of the tribulation. So he'll kind of, I believe, just kind of be undercover. He'll be probably a good negotiator and someone who can pull people together and how terrible it is. And if the world had lost that many people, there'd be a whole lot of uh, desire for peace. However, that zenith rule doesn't happen until he kind of stays in the shadows for his opportunity to step up to begin his satanic assignment. The Antichrist does a responsible job of establishing false peace. He will cause his craft to prosper in his hand. This is the bow without the, the arrows. But he'll also destroy wonderfully, Daniel 8.24. His power comes from Satan. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. After establishing a pact with Israel, he later breaks it and sets himself up as God. We'll see that in Daniel 9 and Thessalonians 2. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs killed for their testimony of God's word during the tribulation. Verse 9 describes them as being under the altar of God, restless and impatient. Verse 10, we know they're, they're earth beings, right? They've come through the tribulation, and they're saying, how long, O God? How long, O God? And they have told, calm down. There's more that need to be martyred. <laughs> wow. That will join you in this. And so... We see that they are this amazing number that has come. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs that are killed. And then verse 11, the martyrs are given white robes and admonished to rest and be patient until their whole company is complete. The company will be composed of Israelis and other peoples and other nations. We can see that. Um, I may touch on this maybe next week when we put together Daniel, Zechariah, Ezekiel. Uh, but if you're liking easy listening, fire and brimstone, go read Zechariah, the last four chapters, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 there. It's got first coming, second coming, the war, the oh man, it's, whew. More tribulation saints are martyred during the second half of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 17, more than the first half. Those not martyred are caught up. Now, if you're a, um, if you're a mid-tribber, this is about the point where Mid-trivers believe that the uh, that mid three and a half year point that there's a another rapture. This, if you look at the language here, um, they're caught up. Let's look at that in Revelation seven. Let's turn there for a minute. I saw this verse nine. I saw this vast crowd, too great to count. Now these are martyred, right? Too great to count. Um, the world population, I looked it up the other day, um, based on today, they believe there's about 7.7 .7 billion people in the world. 
if you look at the handout from LaHaye back in the year 2000, it was $6 billion. So in 19 years, it's gone up at 1.7 billion people. And it's on this exponential rise, right? And so there's, there's more evangelism that takes place during this period of time. More people are saved during this period of time, they estimate, than have ever been saved at any point in the world. So those scales are going to get whew, tipped big time. And why not? I mean, think about it. You release 144,000 Jewish evangelists. We'll see. They're not married. They are focused. They are... Can you just imagine? And now you got the world's in a big mess. You talk about troubles with the environment. <laughs> wow. People would have a, a reason to want to be saved, right? You're not living so peacefully. We start shaking everything that can be shaken. Food is gone. The clouds are dark. The smoke and the nuclear war and everything that you think you got that keeps us safe and sound, it's God. And now they'll, they'll be wide open to receive. So that's why there's so many. And there's so much. Remember in Revelation 12, it says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not even love themselves unto death. So this is a group that says, I don't care if you kill me. I'll never receive the mark. I will never say no to Christ. Kill me, but I will not. And so there's something that's going to happen in that atmosphere of that time where these evangelists are going to come. I'm getting, whoo-hoo, right now. So, Lord, I, yes. He says yes to that. Okay. Um, No, let's look at the bottom of page 19. The sixth seal releases a cataclysmic event. A great earthquake occurs. The sun darkens. The moon becomes blood. The stars of heaven collide with the earth. The heavens roll back. What does that look like? Islands and mountains disappear. The upheaval of nature is reserved for the last day of tribulation when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. This is the day of the wrath of the Lamb. And the day the powers of heaven are shaken. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? Listed there in 29 through 31. Okay, turn the page. So, and you can imagine at this point, this earthquake that's coming is so, it says every mountain is moved. Every island is moved. Man, that is a, what, what's that on the Richter scale? You know, when the Japanese earthquake happened, what was that, a 10? And it says the earth axis, they've calculated the earth axis may have moved slightly. That's a 10. If this one is off the charts, and by the way, uh, we haven't designed a whole lot of stuff above 9s on the Richter scale. And so, who knows what can happen? What happens to all the stuff, pipelines and nuclear reactors and roads and bridges and yeesh. Hello. Okay. Chapter 7, look at page 20. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists. The vehicle for preaching the gospel after the rapture of the church. We can see this in Romans 10, but 12,000 from each of the tribes. There's been all sorts of crazy cults that talk about this one. Um, I just want to read something LaHaye said that I thought was very interesting. Um, this is on page 149 of, of LaHaye's book. It says, 
there's Dr. Harry Ironside is a great theologian. He said, he quotes, he says, I am sure that many of my hearers have often been perplexed about the conflicting theories regarding 144,000 people. The way in which many unscriptural and often positively heretical sects have, have made arrogant statements, and it's kind of amusing, but also sad. Perhaps you've heard of the Seventh-day Adventists applying this to their faithful communion, who will be found observing the Jewish Sabbath on the Lord's return. Or suppose there will be, though they, they suppose that these will be the raptured ones when the Lord descends, and judgment poured out on the rest of those. Then we have the followers of the late Pastor Russell, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who teach that the 144,000 include only the overcomers of their persuasion to continue faithful in the end, following that teaching of what's commonly called the millennial dawnism. Very absurd and weird cults known as the flying roll, flying roll, wow, makes claims that the same thing, that only with them, the 144,000 who have their blood so cleansed they cannot die, but have a mortal life on earth. Besides these, there are many other sects with leaders consider their own peculiar following. All of these, however, overlook a very simple fact, which is observed and would save them from their folly, that the 144,000 are comprised or composed of 12,000 each of the tribe of the children of Israel, not the Gentiles, not a Gentile among them. Now, if you hold to the replacement theology, which is heresy, where Gentile church, the church has now replaced Israel, Israel's insignificant, which doesn't balance anywhere in the Scriptures, by the way, um, then you can say, oh, well, we're the new Israel, so therefore we do fit. Again, heresy. Not true, doesn't line up with Scripture. Okay. So back, back to your handout. When you see the, uh, this divine servants, these, these are guys that um, they're, they're amazing. They're divinely called servants. And you can look at Ezekiel. I've given a couple of Ezekiel 9 there. They sing a new song. They're sealed with the Father's name. A new song with the church company. All unmarried virgin men, no family responsibilities, devoted to full-time calling. As first ones saved at the beginning of the tribulation are the first fruits to God the Lamb. And this could be exactly where that Roman scripture says, now, here they come, all of Israel getting saved. The great multitude in Revelation 7 says, Jewish company, including a multitude of Gentiles, of Zechariah 8.23, these are earthlings from all the nations. They have white robes. They've been martyred. The fact that they have palm leaves means it's victory, right? That speaks of their salvation. They come out or they're caught up. They've washed their robes in the blood. It's temple worship. They've come out of much suffering, and they're taken out of the tribulation before the throne room of God. I want to also uh, point out here... Um, These guys have the, the seal on their forehead, right? So we know that out of Revelation 7, they're sealed. Um, we also know that, think of this scripture. We've kind of, we love it as, as people who love the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's been this debate, and we, we've debated it a little bit. When in Thessalonians, he says, he who's holding back is taken out of the way. 
and then the man of perdition is revealed, right? Many have said, well, soon in the rapture, the Holy Spirit's taken out. Well, it's true that the raptured saints who have, are the temple of God, the living stones, the royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, right? When we leave, the Holy Spirit who's in us goes with us. We're marked and sealed. However, we also know that there are going to be evangelists, and there are many that are coming out of the tribulation martyrdom who are born-again believers. So this idea that the Holy Spirit's not on earth, it doesn't hold water. And so, because no man can come to God and come to unless God draws him, right? And so, and you must be born again. And if you're born again, then you've been empowered and filled with the Holy Ghost. So, yes, when the church is raptured out and the saints are raptured, there's going to be a void for a season. And then all of a sudden, these evangelists get stoked and they come on the line. And the greatest amount of evangelism probably ever occurs. And so, but here's the here's a point LaHaye makes. This is page uh, 151. The Holy Spirit and the 144,000. A good deal of confusion among many splendid Christian people relative to the ministry of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation. Much of the confusion is caused in this foot, a footnote in Schofield's reference Bible on 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 through 12. The footnote indicates that the Holy Spirit, the restraining influence on the devil today, will be taken out of the world when the church is raptured just before the tribulation begins. Many scholars today hold that here Paul means the Holy Spirit in the church, today's morally restraining influence, will be raptured. But the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity and will still be here on earth as a convicting agency, much as He was during the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit will most assuredly be here to empower the ministry of the 144,000 evangelists. The prophet Joel now, we love to quote this, us, you know, charismatics, on Acts chapter 2, right? When after Jesus is taken up in the ascension, he says, wait, stay in Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift, right? Don't leave until he gives you the gift. I told you he would come, right? And then the outpouring comes, right? And we, we see that outpouring, and they stand up. Peter stands up and says, this is that. This is what Joel prophesied, Right? Well, listen to what Joel said. I believe that the first thing he starts with in Joel chapter 2 is, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit. After what? When you read Joel chapter 1, 2, right, all three chapters there, I will pour out my, speepo- my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This passage makes it clear that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit experienced in the day of Pentecost, referenced by Peter in Acts 2, 17, will be a type of an outpouring experienced by the 144,000 witnesses in the tribulation. Although it did occur on the day of Pentecost, as Peter said, the primary teaching of Joel 2.28 through 32 concerns the work of God on the, dur- on the earth during the tribulation period, and it shall come to pass afterwards is a direct reference to the tribulation. Interesting, right? And so... The good news is the Holy Spirit's here, and if, sure, yeah, he's, he infills us now. That's good news. If we have uns, unloved, uh, unsaved loved ones that are, you know, we've witnessed to, and they've said, oh, you know, you, you're making too much of all this get ready, get ready stuff, um, and then we disappear, right? And they find your clothes in a pile, and uh, they find our books on Revelation and the studies, 
And they said, maybe, maybe Grandpa was right about all that stuff. And, and, uh, and they start digging in, and the Holy Spirit draws them, right? So this hope. Well, the great soul harvest is going to be an amazing, an amazing time here. Okay, back to page 21. Let's pick up in, uh, again, the ceiling of that. You can look at in Ezekiel 9. Um, surprisingly, servants are identified in verse 4 as servants of Israel, and not surprising, however, realize they're referred to as in, in Jacob's, Israel's time of trouble. Um, they list all the tribes that are there. Um, Revelation 14, verse 1 through 5, in the middle of the page there, gives a clear picture of the 144,000. It opens by identifying them as the same group of Revelation 7. Only the 144,000 can learn the song of a group of people described in Revelation 4, 6, 5, 8, who are gathered around the throne, the redeemed 144,000, which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, right? At the beginning of the tribulation, a great host of the armies are gathered to do battle this is the event in which Israel defeats Russia. We covered that. All right, turn the page to 22. This great multitude that's caught up in the great tribulation, 714, is uh, suddenly before God's throne. Some of them hold palms in their hands, indicating they're both Jews. Remember, where else would they do the palm branches and call him king of kings, right? And they enter into Jerusalem when he rides the donkey. That's uh, prophesied both in... Um, Zechariah and also in Isaiah, and so 600 years before Christ. All right, um, and God sweeps this whole multitude into glory, and they're around, and they're they're waiting for redemption. And He says, "There's more coming, so wait." And of course, it gets worse as we read the seals. Okay, the mid-trib events. Look at the one through eleven list there on page 22. Antichrist breaks the agreement with Israel. The tribulation saints are caught, they're, they're, they escape the wrath of Antichrist. They're actually in this, if you're a mid-tribber, that's where they believe the rapture occurs. So he's kind of making that point, which is not what Lehi believes. Obviously, nature's all messed up. These um, meteors, it sounds like meteors. Have you heard recently about we, the, they missed the earth, some meteor the size of Long Island, Missed the United, missed the world by some billion miles, and that's really close. And but can you imagine a meteor that hits the ocean and causes that kind of stuff to happen? And then the second meteor that hits the rivers and one third of all the rivers. So one third of all the ships on the sea are destroyed. And so it's the U.S. fleet. Part of it, the, the, the fifth fleet, is parked in the Mediterranean. Can you imagine what would happen if the Mediterranean Sea were hit with a meteor and what would occur? The, the tsunami and all the mess that would come out of that. We know that um, the Antichrist moves against Israel. The remnant of Israel is hidden. We'll look at that this weekend uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 9 on Sunday. Antichrist destroys the religious system, the world church, the harlot. At that point, he declares himself to be God. Um, the Antichrist, the false prophet. Now, we're going to debate this a little bit. We know that when we look at the upcoming chapters, there's the Antichrist who has the lying signs and wonders. He's kind of the, and then his supporting 
false priest. Who is that? Where is that at? How does that arise? And there's a lot of theories about that one. But there's clearly a, the Antichrist who's empowered by Satan himself. And there's another human being, a religious leader, who gives everyone the direction, yes, you should worship him. And bow down and worship him and receive the mark. So there's a false prophet and there's an Antichrist power realm. And can you imagine him standing in the United Nations or standing in the brand new temple in Israel and declaring, let the thunder crash and roll, and it happens. And all those who have been deceived say, well, he must be God. So we need to be aware that there's, there's a false religious prophet and there's an Antichrist leader, probably a world leader, Likely, they're both alive right now in places of position, okay? Lots of theories there, and we won't entertain that right now, maybe later. The false prophet introduces the mark of the beast and attempts to control commerce. The two witnesses will begin their ministry. We'll see that in Revelation 11. Okay, turn to page 23, chapter 8. We've got a few minutes left. In chapter 8, we read, the upheaval of nature earthquake occurs at that mid-trib point. Plagues are released. The earth, the sea, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, seriously affected. The releasing of the sounds of these trumpets. When Jesus opens the seventh seal, there's a silence in heaven. Now, heaven is not a quiet place, right? You got all the angels, the myriad of angels, holy, holy, this song's going. Every time a, one child gets saved, there's a party thrown in heaven. It's a, it's a full, wild place. It's like my house on Sunday with all the grandkids. Try to listen to the football game. Good luck with that. And so heaven is, a, but for some, at this moment, when they're about to release the first woe, the angels and all of them are so, there's so much shock and awe about the wrath of God that is about to be poured out that is known a word in heaven for 30 minutes. Everyone is like. Seven seals standing before the throne um, are given the seven trumpets, verse 2 there. This means that the trumpets become the angels' possessions. They're given them. These angelic trumpets are not to be confused with the trump of God referred to in Thessalonians or the last trump in 1 Corinthians 15. Come up hither, right? The trumpet says, like Pat and some of the guys blow it on Sunday morning. It's like, yay, God, right? Come up hither. We all go up, right? No, this is, this is the wrath trumpet, the woes of trumpets that are blowing. An eighth angel appears, three and five there, before God, and the golden censer, which is related to the prayers of the saints, after obtaining God's recognition of the censer, the angels cast it to earth. You know, a good note, a good note here is, God answers all of our prayers. Those prayers get thrown down. So it's like they're mixed with all this. So God's got them all. So I just, just encourages us to keep praying. Man, we had a time in prayer today. Woo! We did. It was, it was awesome touching heaven this morning. Okay. Um, just keep praying. That's the point. First trumpet, number seven there. The hail and fire mingled with blood. One-third of the trees and much of the grass is burned over the next three and a half years. Second trumpet is a great mountain burning with fire cast into the sea. 
and a third part of it becomes blood. A third of the fish die. All the ships caught in the blood sink, killing all aboard. The effect of the plague again. The meteors, they come in that verse 10 and 11. Stars fall from the sky. They become wormwood, killing the men with the bitterness of this, whatever, however it contaminated the water. Overnight, but the reaches a maximum effect as the two witnesses use this plague in the 42 months of tribulation, which we'll pick up. Turn to page 24, verse in chapter 9. The plague of the locusts, the first woe. The release of the fallen angels from the river Euphrates, 200 million man. Now, here's a debate. Some believe, some of the commentators believe these are angelic creatures that are released. Others believe this is a vast oriental army because we'll see later in Revelation it speaks of the kings of the east that come, right? And so some of the commentators are in different places. Are they spiritual beings released from the river Euphrates and then there's an oriental army later <clears throat> or is this the same? I'll let you decide on that. It, it's all bad. So wherever they came from, doesn't matter. It's, it's bad, right? They come and they have decided um, that they're going to come and take. This is the second woe. The four major categories of the godlessness during the tribulation is murder, sorcery, and if you look at pharmagia, that can be drugs, enchantments, witchcraft. Certainly, remember in, in Timothy where Paul warned his son, his spiritual son, in the last day they'll give to the worship of demons. And uh, there's a tribulation hour coming, it's no greater than, you know, it's really bad. And she says, so there's going to be this worship of the demonic realm or actually we'll, we'll look into some of this next week. But, uh, and fornication, no regard for morality, theft of property. And you can imagine uh, in countries where there's tremendous poverty, when we've been in Mozambique, one of the real challenges in Mozambique is such thievery. When people are hungry, you'll do a lot of crazy things, right? And so uh, it's no wonder that all of that comes together um, during this period of time. All right, turn to the last page, 25 there. The first trumpet, the first woe. And we kind of covered some of these. The, in verse 11, this locust king of the bottomless pit, that is like, man, that is Satan. It is Satan himself, or it's one of his, um, you know how the Lord has his archangels, Gabriel and Michael, we know that, right? I want to I cover this here because I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, let me, I'll turn, have you turn to the bottomless pit. This is on 169 if you have your book. Um, who are these? The destroyer, Apollyon, the open pit, this abyss. One of the woes, as soon as this happened, the abyss opens, and these evil spirits are released. Who are these guys? Um, we can draw from different scriptures. Just I'll present some thoughts to you on this. Um, the abyss, the bottomless pit, um, it's been suggested it may be the bottom of the great gulf that's fixed between Hades, separates the place of torment and the place of comfort described by Jesus in Luke 16. Remember, we covered this, I think, maybe the first night, where um, 
Abraham is it called describe it as Abraham's bosom, and the poor, the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man who had no regard for God, never cared about poor uh, Lazarus who had sores stepped over him every day with all of his sores and wounds and and starvation. They had no care for him, and you had your luxury. He was not a redeemed man. He dies. <clears throat> he goes to Hades, and Lazarus dies and is in Abraham's bosom. These are the Old Testament saints who believed God, who Christ has not been uh, resurrected at this point. They're in these places of, of peace. Remember, he says he looks across, and there's this tormented place in Hades, and the rich man says, send him to just touch my tongue. I'm so tormented in the flames. Okay, well, let's pick up here. If in that place, one of the, the theories of this, which I think is a good one, there's a great gulf between Hades and Abraham's bosom. After the resurrection, Christ goes down into the, he's got the keys. He leads many captives free. We see that in the book of Ephesians and in, in Peter. <clears throat> he who had first ascended must descend, and he brings with him many captives, right? Okay. But in that description, there's also these crazy, really wicked, evil spirits, the free evil spirits. We know evil spirits exist if you've ever done deliverance or seen somebody tormented by a demonic spirit. And we know from Matthew 12, Matthew 12 says, when, an evil, when the kingdom of God has come among you and a spirit leaves the person, it goes into the dry place. It doesn't like to be in a dry place. It wants to be in a host. It wants to be in an animal or a human. It says, but when the house has been swept clean and full, right, that person is free. These are spirits that are existent. We believe they're fallen angels that got knocked out of heaven when the rebellion happened. But there were some really, really wicked spirits that he, the, the scriptures classify as different. So these evil spirits, we're not talking about them. That the fallen angels, you want to look at that, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, you can look at that. Matthew 12 is another one. But these, these are disembodied spirits that exist in people that are in rebellion. They're following after sin, and you're likely to get attachments to those things. But you can be set free from that. We see that in deliverance. If not, pick up my book on the way out. All right. But who are the imprisoned evil spirits? <clears throat> Jude 6 tells us this. Jesus' half-brother Jude, verse 6, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these have been kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgments of the great day. This makes so much more sense when you realize, well, who are these guys? There's a different category of evil here, but they're going to get released. This great abyss, until the day of the Lord, here's what Jude says, which <clears throat> the abyss, until the day of the Lord, these angels will probably be those who violated the laws of God and they came into the daughters of men, cohabitated with them, producing this strange mixed race that was destroyed in the flood. You can look at Genesis 6. Remember it talks about Nephilim and the, the, the angels who came into the, they saw the women that, of, of, of earth that looked beautiful. They came, and this is probably where the giants, one of the thoughts is, where these nine-foot, ten-foot giants came from, right? But they were destroyed. So were these the spirits who violated the boundaries God set? Because they have free will. Angels have free will. Hello. That's why they rebelled, right? <clears throat> and they've been locked up. This, 
They may be the evil archangels that were with Satan in the rebellion. They're not Satan because he's doing his stuff now, right? So it's just, a, it's a very interesting, I think it fits with Scripture. In uh, page 170 it says, this is further confirmed by 2 Peter 2, which refers to the fact that God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, and that word there is Tartarus, putting into gloomy dungeons to be held for the judgment day. Tartarus may be the abyss or the bottomless pit referred now in Revelation. Evil spirits and angels having already manifested their evil tendencies and capabilities by almost destroying the human race, they're chained there. And they'll be unleashed on the earth at the time of this persecution. So when you start to put all these blocks of Scripture together, to me it's, it starts to bring revelation. Oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Some of these things in the past, where you read the in Genesis, you know, what is that? And you, angels changed in dungeons. Well, when, I thought they got, but now you start to see all the pieces fit. And so when you look at the whole balance, precept upon precept, right? All right, well, we're after eight. Praise God. Where are we? We finished chapter nine. <clears throat> so now, if you would please read forward chapter 10, 11, and 12. Like I said, we're into some wild stuff here. Let's pray. I want to, everybody good? Nobody's afraid, right? If anybody needs prayer, you're afraid. You come talk to me afterwards. Nothing to fear, right? Perfect love expels fear. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we are encouraged by your word. It inspires us both to be evangelists and inspires us to search and seek for purity. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord's Psalm 24? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. So, Lord, help us. Set us free from all the entanglements of the world, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to be living sacrifices. We're not going to crawl off the altar. We're going to stay up there, and we're going to let this flesh be in order, self-controlled unto the day. And we ask your Holy Spirit to do it. We can't do it in ourselves, but you said, I give you power to live a godly life. So, Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit. Empower your people now. Cover them, protect them. If there's any sickness, any trials, tribulations, Lord, go before them and make all the crooked places straight. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Don't forget to pick up the kids.